Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And as you're turning there, uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you've ever had a foreign exchange student. Raise your hand. You've ha- hosted a foreign exchange student. Okay, about six, seven, eight, nine of you. Uh, I did as well. My family, in fact, we hosted two foreign exchange students. One from uh, Japan and one from Italy. And it was, it was a great, excellent, it was just an excellent experience for me as a young child to have this uh, foreign exchange student in our home. Um, but the, the programs that we enrolled in as a family were different than some other programs. Our, our program was to bring a student over and that was it. Other programs, I don't know if you're aware of it, but other programs, there's, there's a mutual exchange program in which you send your high school student to Japan or Italy and they send their high school student to you as a family. It's called like a mutual student exchange program. One family sends out, uh, their, uh, one American family sends out their uh, high school son and they receive back a, a high school son from Italy. Of course, the danger in, uh, in doing this is that one family might ship out their courteous and responsible son or daughter only to receive a student who is immature and irresponsible in return. It's usually the American students who are the immature and irresponsible ones. (laughs) That's the danger, right? You might call that a bad exchange rate, right? It's a a rough exchange rate when that happens. Well, in our study today in Romans, in Romans 1, Paul is going to introduce an exchange program. That's right. Paul is going to introduce an exchange program. Only this exchange program isn't a student exchange program. No, it's a truth exchange program. Paul is going to teach us that God's truth and wisdom is being exported from our human hearts and our minds. And what man is getting in return is a darkened mind and a foolish heart. It's an exchange program of the worst kind. The title of my message today, continuing on in the series called Without Excuse, is part two, the truth exchange program. The truth exchange program. And I want to remind us again of what is the intent of this section of Romans that we are in. We're going through the book verse by verse. As a, as a church. And what is the main intent of this focus from about Romans 1.18 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20? It is this. Paul's aim is to show that they, the whole of humanity, is morally bankrupt, unable to claim a favorable verdict at the judgment bar of God, desperately in need of His mercy and pardon. For, from 1.18 to 3.20, that's precisely Paul's point. F.F. Bruce says it well. Paul's particularly speaking of those people who, who gaze upon the beauty and the order of creation and yet deny the existence of their Creator. He's speaking of those who recognize the inner conviction that God exists and yet suppress that truth time and time again. Such persons, Paul will soon say in our text today, such persons, they profess to be wise But in reality, they are just fools. Starting in verse 22, Romans 1, 22 to 32. In fact, I'd like us all to stand. It's often that uh, churches stand for the reading of God's Word. I'd like us to stand as we read verses 22 
to 32 of Romans 1. It says this, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creator or the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You may be seated. Uh, you might wonder, why am I covering again verses 22 and 23? I covered that last week. So why are, we re- why are we returning to this again? Well, the reason we're returning to verses 22 and 23, let's read it again. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Notice the word changed. The word changed. Alasso in Greek or metalasso uh, for exchange. It means to change or exchange or substitute out. To turn in one thing and receive back something else. This word changed or exchanged governs the entire idea of our passage this morning. God's glory, God's truth, and God's order and purpose in nature, all these things are being changed out and what man is getting in return is idolatry and evil. There is a truth exchange program taking place of the worst kind and no one is exempted from it for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is being exchanged here in these verses is who to worship. Humanity has substituted the glory of God for idols. Men and women have, have come to worship and serve idols rather than the God who made them. Now, you know, we, we, always, we often see this idea of idolatry here, you know, the, changing the glory of the the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So we think of this, this carved image. Um, of ancient times and how idolatry was was just so prevalent in so many ancient civilizations. And we in the West, we kind of look at that and we think, that is so weird that you would 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 spend so much time hand-carving this this wooden object or fashioning this, this golden calf and calling it your God. Do you think that that is so 
strange and so foreign to us. We, we're so, we're, we feel so much more advanced than that, right? We in the West. Make no mistake. The idolatry of ancient times is just as prevalent in our day and age. It is just as prevalent. You see, our culture, we don't carve wooden objects. We don't fashion golden calves. Well, some, some do. But we instead, we worship celebrities. We worship athletes. We worship politicians. We worship the wealthy. Our modern gods, they're not like ancient times, but they often are our money, our cars, our homes, our jobs, our vacations. Modern idolatry is anything, idolatry is anything we worship more than the Lord. Our idols in the West are often our obsessions, be that the internet, our email, our phone, television, shopping. What do you obsess about? What do you obsess about? What do you think about all the time? What are you constantly doing every single day and you couldn't live without doing it once every ten minutes? That's your idol. That's your idol. Do you suppose you are exempt from exchanging the the glory, the worship of the one true God for idols? We are not exempt. Idolatry comes in different forms, but we are not exempt from what has happened in ancient times. And what is, the question now is, what is God's response to humanity who is idolatrous? What is God's response to it? Well, remember, you'll remember back in, in chapter 1, verse 18, this whole section began with these words from Paul. For the wrath of God is revealed, or being revealed, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, this whole passage started with the idea that there is a real and a present expression of God's wrath upon the world. Right now. Right now. It teaches us that God is acting now, as He did in Paul's day, in reaction against sinful men and women. And our next verse, verse 24, is going to help us better understand just how God is expressing this wrath in the here and now against those who suppress His truth. So let's take a look. Verse 24 and 25. How is God expressing His wrath? Verse 24. Therefore, in light of the idolatry, in light of substituting out the glory of God for objects of worship, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. How is God acting wrathfully today? It's a good question. He, you know, he's, not, he's not sending plagues like the Exodus and like He'll do in the last days. That's not how He's expressing His wrath right now. No, the present expression of God's wrath upon sin is, is of a different kind than that. The phrase, giving them up, is our key here. That phrase behind me in verse 24, giving them up or giving them over, is critically important to note. You should be underlining it in 24 because you're going to see it again. It's the same expression Paul uses in verse 26 and in verse 28. Notice these texts. God gave them up 
to vile passions. God gave them over to a debased mind. It is here that we see how the wrath of God is being expressed right now. In answering the question, how is God expressing His wrath today on your outlines, I would say this. God's wrath against sin is exhibited by removing His protective hand from those who suppress His truth. Rather than shielding them from the ramifications of their thoughts and actions, God is giving them over to the unyielding power and bondage of their sins. He is giving them over to the full effect of sin's power and bondage and corruption. He's not holding them back from those consequences. He's not shielding them from the full ramifications of their sin in this life. Instead, He's taking His hand away and He's giving them up and saying, fine, have it your way. Have it your way. Let's have your life exactly the way you want it and let's see what happens when you live like that. God's giving them up giving them over to their sins. Now, it is here that many unbelievers and even uh, some Christians kind of feel uncomfortable. They think, well, I don't really like the idea that that there are limits to God's patience. I have uh, family members who don't like that idea. Uh, Many, they they don't want to believe that that a loving God would do such a thing as this, that He would take away His hand of protection from people. But inasmuch as the Bible speaks of God as loving and forgiving and long-suffering, which are true, the Scriptures are also quite clear that there is a limit to the patience of God. There is a time when He will discipline, when He will chastise, when He will even punish those who transgress Him. And in no way, in no way is this wrath of God unjust. Quite the contrary, the Scriptures are quite clear. God only, gives over, God only gives over those who have already given up themselves. Take a look at Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19. Notice what it says. It says this, that, uh, You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with, with greediness. Do you catch that in Ephesians? Paul there is using the exact same verb in Greek to say that they have given themselves to this. They have persisted in sin. They have persisted in evil, persisted in uncleanness. And when they give themselves over to a certain extent, God does the exact same thing. Let's them have what they want. He lets them have what they want. God does not give over anyone who has not already given over themselves. It is humanity first and foremost who have given themselves over to evil, according to Ephesians 4.19. It is man's actions that have prompted God's wrath. And the Lord only gives over those who have already given themselves over to sin. Verse 24 again. 
Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. This word uncleanness, it really carries with it a a sexual nuance, really. Persistent, lustful thinking brings about the dishonoring of our bodies. You know, the the emphasis on the body there in verse 24, that they, they were given over to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The idea here is that, hey, God made human beings in His image. And, and the human body was meant, was designed to be a temple of the Spirit of God. Paul speaks about, speaks about elsewhere in the Corinthians. He says, look, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is meant to be like a house of God, whole, housing the Spirit of God within you. And when you move toward uncleanness, when you lust, when you persist in sin, you bring about dishonor to the very image and the very house of God, your body. You bring about dishonor to the image of God, to the house that was supposed to be holding His Spirit within you. And then notice verse 25. These people who exchange, there's our key word again, by the way, metalosso, exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. God is giving them over those who exchange His truth for lies. Notice the emphasis on idolatry again. They're serving the creature rather than the Creator. My thoughts exactly. Notice the emphasis uh, uh, again here in verse 26. Turn to verse 26 and 27. Notice this. We're, we're committing... Uh, commenting on the same patterns here. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Here we have again the giving over. Notice the same language. What is the expression of God's wrath? Giving themselves over. He's giving them up to what they want. Alright, in the first case, they wanted uncleanness. He gave it to them. They became dishonorable. Now they want these these vile passions. So he says, fine, have it. Here are these vile passions. I will not not shield you from them. I will let you engage in in this way of thinking, this way of contemplating evil. Vile passions. And there's that word again, exchange. Notice, for even their women, exchange. Third time. Metalasso. The natural use for what is against nature. There is a repetitive substitution of God's glory, God's truth, God's order in nature. And here we come to uh, a sensitive issue, the issue of homosexuality. Paul gives this notable example of truth exchange. He gives this notable example of truth exchange. An example that was uh, relatively prominent in first century Roman culture. Homosexuality was, uh, was considerable there. In fact, the Roman emperor uh, at the time, uh, Nero, uh, very, very good evidence that he engaged in, in homosexuality. It was, uh, it was commonplace, as much as it is today. And Paul comments here, he, he likens the homosexual relationship to an exchange. 
He says it is an unnatural exchange of, of heterosexual relations for that of homosexual relations. There are women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. There are men leaving the natural use burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. You know, despite many, many attempts to suggest otherwise, the Bible is clear that homosexual behavior is an aberration of God's intent in creating humanity. It is not natural. It is an exchange of what is good and what is true. Paul says it is shameful. It is sin. Having said that, I'm quite sure that there are uh, some in this room who are either currently struggling with or have struggled with homosexual tendencies. And to you, and really to all of us, I want to remind us that we're all sinners. And we have all, we have, every single one of us, of us have participated in this truth exchange. Every single one of us. That's the point of Romans 1. All of us have done this. All of us have exchanged God's truth, exported God's truth, and embraced lies. And so when we read verses 26 and 27 about homosexuality, we read it with humility and not with an aura of judgment, knowing full well that Paul could have just as easily have cited an example of a truth exchange that I struggle with. Tom Wright hits the needle on the head when he says, the line between good and evil runs not between us and them, but down the middle of all of us. It's well said. And in returning back to the text here, Paul's point here, folks, don't miss it. Paul's point is not to say, look at homosexuality. Look how awful they are. Look at that. And boy, we're not like that, but look at them over there. No, that's not at all the intent of Romans 1. Not at all. In fact, Paul's intent in citing homosexuality is to say, see, do you see how far humanity has gone to exchange God's truth and design for inferior substitutes? Do you see how humans are giving up the worship of God for idols? Do you see how they're giving up their own natural sexual relations for unnatural ones? Look how far Look how far humanity has strayed from her Creator. Paul's Paul's intent is not to separate you and me from homosexuality and say, look how bad they are. Instead, it's to say, look at what all of us have done in exchanging God's truth for lies. Here's an example. Here's an example. Here's an example. And there are examples that I could share with you about my life in which I have exchanged God's truth for lies. But Paul take, does take it a little bit further in the issue of homosexuality. He, he mentions, or at least it seems to, by some indication, it says at the very end, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Paul especially, and uh, most commentators believe this, this was especially uh, mentioned on the men in particular, according to the context of the text, but, but nevertheless, Paul especially holds these, these men up to a, a, greater, uh, a greater standard. And he says, these men who, who did what was unnatural, they have, are receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. You know, a lot of people wonder, what, what is that penalty? Uh, some commentators, uh, uh, many commentators, suggest that that penalty is AIDS. And we cannot deny that, that uh, AIDS and other STDs certainly are consequences 
for engaging in illicit sexual behavior. Um, but I think that uh, that I think that the the suggestion that AIDS is in view here is is pretty far-reaching. Uh, for one, Paul did not know of AIDS. Uh, for two, um, how are we to explain many heterosexual people who contract uh, AIDS, some of which receive it through no fault of their own, through a blood transfusion, or, or being born to parents with AIDS? So I think it's best uh, to always stick to context here. Stick to context. Don't, don't try to reach too far. Look at the text itself and see if we can find the penalty in the text. I think it's there. In the context of the passage, the penalty or the consequence of these homosexual relations is none other than what God has already given them over to in verse 26. The penalty is the vile passions. The penalty is that they've been given over to these vile passions by God. Remember, God's present wrath on sin is a penalty. It is a punishment. And that penalty is expressed by God by giving sinners over to the full ramifications of their evil thoughts and actions. Tom Constable writes this, the due penalty is what man experiences as a result of God giving him over and letting him indulge his sinful desires. Couldn't say it better. The penalty is exactly what God's given them over to. We might say that that those people, those people who begin to experiment and act upon homosexual thoughts and feelings, soon find themselves being given over to them. Soon find themselves being consumed by them deeper and deeper into more vile and more depraved thinking. Notice passion. What is it? It's an inner emotion. What does Paul say the penalty is? He says the penalty they receive they received in themselves vile passion. God's present penalty upon those who practice homosexuality is vile and wicked inner emotions and passion. We should not be tempted to think that that is not a penalty. It is a penalty. Quite the contrary, a a corrupted and a def, a corrupted and a depraved mind and heart, that is punishment. For with it comes all kinds of additional evils. And that's exactly how our passage ends. Notice verse 28. Read 28 all the way to 32 actually. And even as they, and this is not just speaking of the homosexuals, but all those who who have exchanged God's truth for the lie, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. These people who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. To the third and final giving over, it says, God gave them over to a debased mind. That's a penalty. That's a consequence. 
start to exchange God's truth for lies, in time God will give you exactly what you are looking for. In full. And these have been given over to uncleanness, given over to vile passions, and now given over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. You know, when you wake up and you get dressed and uh, you got an appointment in the morning and you get everything ready and you get uh, everything ready to go and you go out to your car and you're, you're on time, you're ready to go and you turn the key and the car doesn't start. Oh, that is so frustrating, isn't it? When the battery is dead and you're, you're on time, you're ready to go and you're going to make your appointment and you get it and you turn on the key and nothing happens. The car does not do what it is supposed to do. You know, when that happens, our life just gets chaotic. It gets thrown out of whack. And we just get so frustrated and so upset and sometimes angry and we just think, why? Why of all days did the car not do what it was supposed to do today? You know, in in the same way, our minds... A car was designed to start when you turn the key. Our minds were designed to think about God. To think about our Creator. Our minds were designed to think about His goodness. Philippians 4 says, Our minds were designed to think about whatever things are just. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, anything virtuous or praiseworthy, meditate on these things, Paul says in in Philippians 4. Our minds were designed to think about God and His goodness. And when our minds start thinking about evil and start premeditating evil, and when our minds start thinking about lust, and about vile passions, our very lives get out of whack. They get chaotic. We get frustrated and angry and upset. And just like when the car doesn't start, we think, ah! When we think evilly, it throws us out of tune with what we were designed to be with how exactly God designed us. Make no mistake, when God gives people over to uncleanness, to vile passions, to a debased mind, those are real penalties. They are real punishments because it throws our life out of whack. It leads to so many terrible things. We see the list there. Unrighteousness. Sexual immorality. It leads to wickedness. It leads to covetousness, always wanting. It leads to maliciousness. It leads to to speaking evil against other people. Premeditating evil against other people. It makes us full of envy. It can lead to murder. And if not that, to strife to deceit, to evil-mindedness. We become whisperers when we don't think right. When we don't think the way God wants us to think. We start to speak ill of people. And sometimes we do it as backbiters, behind their backs. Refusing to face the one that we malign. 
out of whack. Haters of God, out of whack. Violent, proud, boasters. We go so far as to invent evil things. This goes for the engineer and it goes for the artist. Whoever creates must be mindful that to produce something that's befitting of their Creator and not produce something that's evil. There are evil things in this world that people have created. We become disobedient to parents, out of whack, out of tune with our families. It leads to an undiscerning spirit. We don't know right from wrong. An untrustworthy spirit. No one has respect for us. No credibility. Unloving. We become unaffectionate. We can't even express our natural emotion to our family and to our friends. We become unforgiving and unmerciful. This list, this list of vices, this list of social ills, this list of sins, all of it, Paul says, look, none of this was how you're supposed to be. None of it. You're not designed to do these things. You weren't created to do these things. And when you do these things, you know innately. You may not know it in the moment, but you know a few seconds later, you know the next day, you realize, what did I just do? I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I premeditated this. These and much more are real consequences that humanity receives after being given over by God to the full extent of sin's power and bondage and decay. Suppress the truth long enough that goes for the Christian and it goes for the non-believer. Suppress the truth long enough and God will express wrath now which means He will give you over to exactly what you are suppressing. And He's just in doing it because He's a holy God. And a holy God cannot look at sin and evil and not act. Not only that, He is just in doing it because humanity knows better. We know better. You know, I think of my, I often think of my son. My son lately has been, uh, he has not been going to bed on time at all. Uh, it's been awful. <laughs> we got nap time midday at 1.30 and he'll sit in his bed from 1.30 and my wife will go in there and say, she'll say, now Bennett, if you get out of bed, if you, if you talk loud, if you, if you get out of bed, you're going to get disciplined. And Bennett will be like, okay, Mama, I understand. And then five minutes later, he's out of bed or he's jumping on the bed and screaming, la, 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 waking up Mallory. It's like, are you kidding? You know better. And then at night, you know, 7.30 is bedtime for him. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm putting him to bed and I'm like, now Bennett, listen carefully. If you get up, you will get disciplined. It's simple. Get up, talk loud, spank. And, um, and he's like, okay, Daddy, yeah, I got it, I got it. And then I walk out five minutes later, la, 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 la. I'm just like, Bennett, what did Daddy say? If I get up, if I talk loud, I get disciplined. Why did you do it? I don't know. Man, you know better. And I've said this many times to him. I look at him, I'm like, Bennett, you know better. You know better. Notice verse 28 and 32. I want to highlight verse 28 and 32. Even as they did not like to retain 
God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. Verse 32, These people who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I could also cite verse 19 and verse 21 earlier in our text, which spoke of all people having a knowledge of God. You know, we demonstrated that last week. God has ensured that every human being begins life with a clear awareness of his existence. He has ensured it. Notice verse 28. They did not like to retain him in their knowledge. Ah, you know, I'm just going to put it to the side for a while. Verse 32. Knowing the righteous judgment of God, they said, ah, I'm just going to do it anyway. He's speaking here of all of humanity, all people. We know better. You know, after my message last week when I was making the point that God's existence is self-evident to all human beings when they begin life. It's only later that they come to suppress it. And, and I was asked last week by someone who pulled me aside after my message and they said, okay, I understand that, that Paul teaches that every human being begins life with a knowledge of God, but my question is, is it possible that at a certain point in time they lose that knowledge? Is it possible that, that after beginning with it, they come to suppress the truth so long that they, that they now no longer have that knowledge of God? And I said, great question. And verse 32 is our answer. Who? These people. All people. Knowing the righteous judgment of God. Knowing that people who practice these kinds of things are deserving of death, they not only do these things, but they applaud those who do them. Verse 32 suggests plainly that even those who sin, even those who are so enraptured in sin and debauchery, continue to be aware of the righteous judgment of God. That's amazing. There's still this nugget of truth rolling in their heads. They know. They know what they're doing is wrong. I believe that. I believe that. The Bible teaches that. It seems that no one loses sight of God, even in their darkest moments. That goes for the atheist. I said last week, there are no true atheists. There are only professing atheists. Everyone has a knowledge of God. Everyone has a knowledge of God. Even in their darkest moments, Paul says, they know the righteous judgment of God. They know what they're doing is wrong. And because of this, we go back to verse 20, where Paul says, they are without excuse. Because of this, they are without excuse. That goes for all of us. All of humanity is without excuse. Truth has been exchanged. You've done it. I've done it. We put God on the sidelines while we engage in all kinds of idolatry and evil. We are all without excuse. And we are all in need of a Savior. And that's why when I come to my closing thought here, notice this in, in, in closing, I want to say this. It says this. Uh, in Romans 1, uh, we meet. We meet the grave problem 
that confronts all of humanity. And we have all participated in this, Paul says, in the exchanging and the corrupting of God's truth and His design. We all need God's mercy, help, and restoration. And I want to, say, I want to leave us on this. Thankfully, thankfully, help is on the way. We're not going to get to it for a while because it's all the way in chapter 3. But when we get there, notice what it will say. Paul says in Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is being revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So friends, inasmuch as we leave the, the, the study today with the idea that every one of us have participated in this exchange program, this truth exchange program. We also maintain hope that help is on the way. And you who believe in Jesus Christ, you who have looked upon the person of Jesus Christ and cried out, My Savior, my God, you who have believed in the name of the one and only begotten Son, you have received help. You have received mercy. And... Paul's going to say later on in the book of Romans, particularly chapter 6 and 7, you have received power to overcome all the sin that we've been discussing. You have received power as Christians by the Spirit within you to overcome this way of thinking, this way of living life. Thank God that He does not just leave us in our sins. He offers us mercy and help in Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, God, it is hard to look at the Scripture's teaching on sin. Lord, for when we, re when we read it, we are reminded that every single one of us have participated in this truth exchange. All of us have substituted out Your goodness for lies. All of us have engaged in uncleanness, vile passions, debased thinking. Lord, we've been given over to these. But Lord, You don't leave us there. You, you, you bring us back. You give us hope. And You've done it in Christ. You sent Your Son to remedy all these things. Establishing our sinfulness, now You've sent the One who will pay for the sin in full in Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, that we have hope and that we are not just stuck in Romans 1 and 2 thinking of the depth of our sin, but that we have the hope of Christ, the hope of redemption, the hope of real power against sin and its consequences. Lord, help us to live in that power. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.